Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. Today we pick back up in our study through the Gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus. We trust that you will receive just what you need from the Lord today. Thank you for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to gather with you. Hey, have any of you had any unmet expectations recently? So a couple weeks ago, we took our car in to the shop for an oil change, and about 2 o'clock, I got the call that the car was ready, Uh, but, and you know where this is going, uh, there was some issues with the brakes, and they needed to fix the brakes, and by the way, the tires weren't going to last very much longer either. So I went in in the morning thinking I was going to spend 40 or 50 bucks on an oil change, And hundreds of dollars later, at the end of the day, I have new tires, brakes, and fresh oil. Unmet expectations, and we all have these. We all have expectations. And if you're following in your notes, an expectation is a strong belief that something will happen in the future. It's just this strong belief, and we all have these. Some of them are very realistic. You came in this room this morning, you sat down in the chair, you had a strong expectation that that chair was going to hold you, right? Other expectations, not so realistic, and they can be misplaced. And there's an equation for expectations, and that's part of an equation called a disappointment equation. Students, I apologize, school just ended, and I'm going to put math on the board. Here's the expectation disappointment equation. Expectations minus reality, reality sets in, equals disappointment. If you're following in your notes, disappointment is the sadness experienced when people or circumstances do not fulfill our expectations. Right? There's a feeling of a sadness. We might also feel loss or anger or frustration. There's an emotional response in disappointment. And because we all have expectations, and because we all live in reality, we're all going to suffer disappointment. Disappointment's a pervasive part of our lives. It happens everywhere, right? In trips that we take, experiences we have, sports teams we follow, Medical diagnoses we receive, relationships with one another, and disappointment happens in our relationship with God. And I think this is a big reason why so many people leave the faith. Things don't go the way we want them to go, or they don't go the way we pray they will go. We experience deep disappointment with God, and we check out. I've been there. I've been there. And that's why this story that we're going to look at today is so important because Mark's going to show us a story that teaches us how we can handle disappointment in a way that doesn't lead to despair, but actually draws us closer to Jesus. We're in a series in the gospel of Mark. We've been in this series for some time now. And if you're following in your notes, we are spending time with Jesus, how to live, learning how to live the way of Jesus. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Again, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10 is where we're going to pick up today. If you don't have a Bible with you or a digital device, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Please take one of those. You can mark it up, take notes. It would be good to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you. It's a gift. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. 
Mark chapter 10, where we're going to pick up today, can be found on page 823 of those Bibles. So to bring you up to speed as you're finding your way there in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has started his final journey to Jerusalem where he will end up being killed and rise from the dead three days later. Jesus has been in ministry now about three years. And I've said this before, but anytime we read a gospel, it's a good practice to always pay attention to what happens immediately before and immediately after what you are reading. And last week, Steve shared the story of James and John from the chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Two brothers, if you remember this, who asked Jesus if they could sit at his right and left when they get to heaven. Places of power. They came to Jesus with this expectation that Jesus would say, you know what? You guys deserve this. You deserve to sit on the right and you deserve to sit on the left. They had that expectation. But Jesus invited these brothers to take the low place and become servants. And I'm sure when they heard these words of Jesus and when their buddies became indignant with them and made fun of them, they were embarrassed and disappointed. And that's where we pick up our story in chapter 10, verse 46, right after this encounter with the two brothers and Jesus. Would you read this with me in the first gray box on your notes? It says, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Y'all did a great job pronouncing Timaeus, by the way. That was impressive. Here's a few things from just one verse. The story takes place in Jericho. It's a city about 15 miles from Jerusalem. There's a blind man named Bartimaeus who is sitting where beggars would sit along the roadside to a major city. Now, here's some more background on this man named Bartimaeus. In biblical times, it was believed and taught by many that people who had any disability were cursed by God. It was either because of something their parents had done or something they had done. They were blind because of their sin. So I'm sure... That this man wonders daily what he did to deserve this terrible punishment. Day after day, he sits in his own personal darkness, bearing the condemnation of believing that his poverty and his blindness are a curse and a result of sin. But the hurt and the pain go deeper than just the presenting issue. That's always the case, right? Because people thought he was cursed. Let's just think about this. He would have been looked at with suspicion and embarrassment to his mother and his father and the village that he was raised in. He would have been excluded from celebrations. He could not worship at the local synagogue, which is the local church for the Jewish people. If he ever made it to Jerusalem, he would not be allowed in the temple to worship God because of his disability. And the other ancient texts even say that blind people would be excluded from the messianic banquet that all followers of Jesus will eat at when he returns. If you're following in your notes, Bartimaeus would have felt excluded and untouchable. A life of disappointment. No hope. Despair. This is just how things are going to be. I deserve this. Maybe you can identify in some way to Bartimaeus. 
The blind man's identity, his core, his identity is shaped by the lies he believes. So is ours. This man lived in a state of trauma. I appreciate the words of Rich Velotis, a pastor in Queens, New York. He says this, trauma is the state of woundedness and the story that arises from living in that state. So it's not just being wounded. Trauma is a story that arises from being wounded. And if you're following in your notes, this living from a place of pain can cause guilt and shame. I'm sure this is what Bartimaeus is experiencing, guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something wrong, which isn't always bad. It can lead us to uh, repentance and forgiveness. But man, shame's a deeper problem that says there's something wrong with me. Not I did something wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. It tells us this story that we are unworthy to be loved. This is Bartimaeus. A physically blind and an emotionally and spiritually wounded man sitting by the roadside begging. And Jesus and his disciples and thousands of people by this time were leaving Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he began to shout. You can see this in your Bibles in verse 47. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. By the time of Jesus, son of David had become a favorite title in Judaism for the Messiah from King David's line. This would be an anointed one, a promised one. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day had a passionate desire for the Messiah. They wanted freedom from the oppressive rule of Rome. They longed for a day where they could experience healing, life, and restoration that the Messiah would bring. They longed for this. But most Jewish people, including Jesus' own disciples, thought this healing and life and restoration would arrive through the military might of a conquering king, not a suffering servant. That just didn't enter their minds. They didn't think it would come from a man filled with mercy. And maybe Bartimaeus had those expectations as well. Maybe he thought Jesus would be a conquering king. But Mark wants us to see something different in this man. Mark wants us to see that Bartimaeus' expectations of Jesus were different. Do do you know, have you ever been reading scripture? You're going through something in your life and you, you open God's word and you read it and it just hits you differently. I mean, maybe you're brokenhearted or you've suffered a loss and there's just something in God's word and it stands out to you because of what you're going through. I'm using some biblical imagination here, but I'm wondering if Bartimaeus had heard Isaiah chapter 61, which says this about the coming Messiah. You can see this on the screen. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Interestingly enough, the healing of the blind was a unique characteristic of the Messiah, not attributed to any other prophet. 
And I wonder if Bartimaeus had heard stories about Jesus. Jesus is three years into his ministry now. I wonder if Bartimaeus had heard about when Jesus started out. And he stood in the synagogue in Nazareth and he read from Isaiah 61 proclaiming this is who he was. Bartimaeus' expectations of Jesus are different. And he cries out, have mercy on me. If you're following in your notes, mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's not getting what we deserve. And Bartimaeus cries out for a gift he doesn't believe he deserves. Remember, this is a man who has believed his whole life. He believes the lie that he's done something to deserve this blindness. And he asks God for mercy. I deserve this blindness and everything that comes with it. But give me what I don't deserve. Please give me mercy. And then the story continues in verse 48. You can follow in your Bibles. It says, many rebuked him and told him he had to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Bartimaeus doesn't give up. He's persistent. And if you're following in your notes, his years of disappointment don't outweigh his hope in Jesus. And when I say hope, please know this. I'm not talking about wishful thinking here, right? We wish for all sorts of things. Hope is this confident expectation in the person and promises of God. It's not wishful thinking. It it is confident expectation. And his hope in Jesus outweighs his disappointment. And don't miss this good news either. If you're following in your notes, Jesus stops and makes time and space for Bartimaeus. He stopped. We see this all over the gospels. Jesus is busy. He's surrounded by people. He has places to go, dinner reservations to keep. And we see him make time for people. He looks at them. He acknowledges them. He gives them his attention. And I pray that you know he still does that today. So there they are. Jesus and Bartimaeus standing face to face. And Jesus says these words in verse 51. Would you read these with me in the second great box? It says, what do you want me to do for you? Kind of a weird question, don't you think? Like, don't you think Jesus knows what he wants? I mean, Matthew chapter six, verse eight says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And let's be honest. This is a pretty obvious question. So why ask it? I was reading a book this week and the author addressed Jesus giving, asking seemingly obvious questions. And I love what he said. He said, Jesus is asking this because he wants to hear Bartimaeus say it. He wants Bartimaeus to ask. He wants Bartimaeus to name the desire of his heart. So can you hold on to that encounter for just a moment? Right? Keep that in your mind. You have it? Jesus and Bartimaeus face to face. In your Bibles, look back at chapter 10, verse 36, at the story immediately preceding ours. Do you see the question that Jesus asked James and John? Just shout it out. What is, what's the question he asked them? 
what do you want me to do for you? And they ask for power and they ask for honor. Give us what we deserve, Jesus. I mean, can you sense the power of this moment? James and John are right there listening and watching. They're on the same road out of Jericho. And Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus answers in verse 51, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. The disciples want to sit on thrones with Jesus and reign with him. They want the power they think they deserve. They want to sit at places of honor while the blind man sits in the dust and he makes no demand for glory. He asks for something he believes he doesn't deserve. Mercy. Listen, he doesn't want a place of honor at the table. He just wants to see so he can be at the table with Jesus. It's the deepest desire of his heart. And maybe, just maybe, when Bartimaeus told Jesus he wanted to see, maybe he was asking Jesus to remove all the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment and the unworthiness and the exclusion and the despair that went along with being blind. The life that he had always known. Maybe he believed Jesus could do all that. And the story concludes. And the reason I say maybe he was asking for all that because the story concludes in verse 52 with Jesus saying, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. His faith healed him. Jesus healed Bartimaeus physically, but the wonder, the wonder of restoration of his sight goes even deeper. Woven into the fabric of this story is a detail that's easy to overlook. With the exception of Jesus' friend whose name was Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, and Malchus, if you remember, Peter cut off his ear in the garden and Jesus healed his ear. Other than those two names listed, Bartimaeus stands as the only healing miracle with a name. Everyone else is identified in less specific terms, demon-possessed man, cleansed leper, afflicted woman. Bartimaeus' name means son of honor or son who is highly prized. And I want to suggest that when Jesus heals Bartimaeus, he does more than just a physical healing. If you're following in your notes, Jesus restores his sight and his name He restores his identity and his dignity. Bartimaeus, for the first time, can feel like a son of honor and a son who is highly prized. And he sits at the roadside begging as the story starts. And at the end of the story, he's on his feet following Jesus. A beautiful story of expectations, disappointment, hope, and restoration. And if you pay attention when you read the Gospels, you see this sort of thing all the time in the Gospels. They do this all the time. They tell the story of a blind man smack dab in the middle of two stories of people who don't see Jesus for who he is. And Bartimaeus follows Jesus along the road toward Jerusalem, where we're told in chapter 11, Jesus begins to make preparations for the last supper that he'll eat with his friends. And then we read more misplaced expectations and disappointment in Jesus. If you're following in your Bibles, in chapter 11, verses 7 through 11, 
Jesus has told the disciples to go get a donkey, a colt that's never been ridden, and bring it to me. I'm going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah and also entering the city as a humble servant. We read in chapter 11, verse 7, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So maybe you've heard this story before. It's the triumphal entry that we commemorate on Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Easter, it marks the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. Thousands of Jewish people lining the road to Jerusalem because they think this man named Jesus could be the Messiah that they were waiting for, just like Bartimaeus. And remember earlier, we said that the Jewish nation was waiting for the Messiah who would be a conquering king. And these people are heralding Jesus into Jerusalem because he just might be the political leader and military leader that would conquer Rome and bring peace through violence. They're shouting Hosanna, which means save us now. Save us now. And I don't think salvation from sin is on their minds. It's salvation from being ruled by Rome. The Jewish people, for the most part, were not looking for a Messiah who was God in the flesh and who would sacrifice himself for the consequences of their sin. Jesus was going to be a different type of conquering king. He would defeat sin and death through his own death and resurrection. Like James and John. The crowd imposed the wrong expectations on Jesus, and it led to disappointment. And we know this because just five days later, some of these people would be shouting, crucify him, because Jesus did not meet their expectations. They have misplaced expectations, which leads to disappointment, and in this case, tragic consequences. We all struggle with expectations, and we all struggle with disappointment. Reality hits And I think we struggle with expectations and disappointments with God. And we don't say it out loud, but we often expect that if we believe and live correctly, we'll have great marriages, healthy bank accounts, well-behaved children, freedom from major problems, limited health concerns. We expect expect blessing from our obedience. We expect a trouble-free life. We expect God to operate on our time frame. And Bartimaeus provides us with an example of how to see Jesus correctly and take our disappointments to him. The first thing we can learn from Bartimaeus, if you're following in your notes, is that he knew he needed Jesus. He had to get to Jesus. He didn't try to handle this on his own. We don't know how long he sat along the road hoping he'd get a chance to meet Jesus, but when that chance came, he took it. And when Bartimaeus called out, Jesus stopped and he made space for him. Jesus wants a relationship with you, but he is waiting for you to want him. And if you're here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Jesus gave Bartimaeus mercy. It is our greatest need in this life. 
Our sin has separated us from God. And what we deserve is to be separated from God now and forever. But God, who is rich in mercy, loves you and me so much that he sent Jesus so that we would not get what we deserve. So now anyone who turns from their sin and turns to Jesus and what he accomplished in his life, death and resurrection is forgiven and no longer separated from God. Listen, if you ask for mercy, you will be given mercy. Today's the day you could experience that for the first time. But listen, we don't stop needing Jesus when we become followers of Jesus. Have you noticed life is difficult and we all carry unresolved pain and trauma. And when we have this unnamed disappointment, right? When we have unnamed disappointment, if we don't take it to Jesus, then it leaks. It affects us and it affects those around us. And you can try your best to numb the pain or to deal with it yourself or try to convince yourself that you can handle it. But how's that going for you? We never outgrow our need for Jesus. Bartimaeus had to get to Jesus. And if you're following in your notes, he came to Jesus with humility and honesty. He didn't come to Jesus with this, you owe me attitude. I've been blind for 30 years. He came to Jesus with an, I don't deserve this attitude, but I'm going to ask anyway. And Jesus asked him to name the desire of his heart. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you can share the desire of your heart with Jesus? Do you feel like you can name the desire of your heart? Or does that feel weird or a little bit selfish? And I'm not talking about health and wealth and prosperity gospel requests. I'm talking about the deep longings of your heart. Our word for prayer comes from a Latin word that means to ask earnestly. Jesus wants to know the desires of our heart and he wants to hear us say it. And what we find many times, if you're following in your notes, is our greatest desires reveal our disappointments. Those things are connected. You long for a relationship to be restored. You have been praying for your child to follow Jesus for years. You are praying for a medical breakthrough in your body. You want to be able to break the addiction. Our desires can reveal our disappointments. So let me ask the question just a little bit differently. Do you feel like you have permission to pray and name the desires of your heart and your disappointment? What I've discovered about myself, when I'm disappointed, I try to spiritualize it and I say things like, God has a plan, I just don't know what it is. Or when God closes a door, he opens a window. And those things might be true. They might be true, but I try to deal with it myself and there's a part of me that thinks I can't express that I'm disappointed in God because that isn't legal. We think we don't have permission to talk to God that way. But if you go to the Psalms, they are filled with people who voice their disappointment to God. Here's just two examples from King David himself. Psalm 13, 1 to 2 says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 142, 2 says, I pour out before him my complaint. 
Before him, I tell my trouble. Do you feel like you can pray like that? Listen, God already knows what you're thinking before you ask it. So why do we feel like we can't say it? Our staff just read a book together on prayer by Pastor Tyler Statton. And in that book, he says this. This is such a great quote. He says, when it comes to prayer, God isn't grading essays. He's talking to children. If the Bible tells us anything about how to pray, it's that God, that God much prefers the rough draft full of rants and typos to the polished, edited version. And author C.S. Lewis, famous for Chronicles of Narnia, says we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Like we feel like we have to have it together to cry out to God for the desires of our heart. God just wants us to come to him. And I'll go as far as to say, if we don't actually admit that we're disappointed, hurt, or frustrated, then we don't heal because we don't allow God access to the deepest parts of who we are. God wants a relationship with the real us, our authentic self, because when we name what reality is and what's really in us, God meets us there in that relationship and we open ourselves up to experience healing, life, and restoration. Some of this is new to me too. Uh, I was on a walk last week and I just started talking to God out loud. It was actually in that parking lot. And I was telling him some of the desires of my heart. And then I found myself saying this to God for the first time in 48 years. God, I'm disappointed with you and how you handled that situation. I told God I was disappointed in him. And here's what happened next. First, lightning didn't fall from the sky and zap me, which I was kind of wondering in the back of my mind if that was going to happen because I'd never done that before. And two, my situation, relationship, and circumstance didn't change. But it changed me and how I thought about it. God softened my heart and helped me see things from his perspective, not just my own perspective. And something else happens when we name our disappointment. If you're following in your notes, naming disappointments can reveal our expectations and lead us into greater trust. Right? Naming these disappointments, just getting them out helps us see where we've placed some false expectations on God. And he can remove those false expectations and reveal himself in deeper, greater ways. And as I'm on that walk and I'm just naming my disappointment and my desires to him, God began to show me that I still expected him to work in certain ways because I was holding up my end of the deal. And God gently reminded me that he doesn't work in formulas. He wants me to trust him. So back to our disappointment equation. Expectations minus reality equals disappointment. It's a given in life. It's a given. We will be disappointed. But there's another equation on how we can handle disappointment. Here's the second equation. Disappointment, which it's always going to be there, plus hope. A confidence, a confident expectation in the person and promises of God can lead to a greater trust. 
And trust doesn't mean our problems are going to go away. Trust means that we believe in the character and promises of God in all circumstances, even when all the evidence is stacked against the contrary. Even when we've experienced great disappointment. So if you're here and you're gripped with disappointment towards God, you've just never been able to get it out. You haven't felt like you could say it. You didn't have permission to say it. I'm praying you don't give up on him. Your disappointment does not have to be your destination. I want to encourage you that even when you don't feel like it, you can spend time with Jesus so that you can learn the way of Jesus. Your hope can be strengthened as God reveals his character and his promises to you through his word, through prayer, through community. And if you're following in your notes, as we spend time with Jesus, we learn that the way of Jesus is healing life and restoration. It's healing life and restoration. And sometimes, like Bartimaeus, that's a physical healing. God still works miracles. He can absolutely still physically heal us. What I've discovered is more often than not, it's an internal, deeper healing that he wants to accomplish. We always want to provide an opportunity to respond to the word of God. And I think if I had to sum everything up, if you just wanted to jot a note down that's kind of a summary of everything that we've talked about today, this is what I want to say to you. Pour out your heart to God in honesty and humility. Pour out your heart to God. God wants the real you. He wants a relationship with the real you. So we want to provide a few minutes to practice talking to God. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to guide us through several minutes of prayer. And I'll guide you to pray for several specific things. And then I'll give you time to talk honestly with God about that. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can gather to be reminded of who you are. This world is so loud and it's so busy and there's so much noise that you get drowned out. We try to handle things on our own. We try to do things that'll fix our situations before we look to you. And today we pause and look to you, Jesus. We need you. We never outgrow our need for you. So today, God, we just want to talk honestly to you. In the quietness of our hearts, we just want to speak honestly. Maybe this is the first time somebody's ever done this. But I want to invite you right now, just between you and the Lord, what's the desire of your heart? What burden are you carrying? What is weighing you down? What have you been praying for for years? Just name it to the Lord right now. What is the desire of your heart?
Where have you been disappointed? Is there anywhere it feels like God has disappointed you? I want to invite you to be honest with him and open up that space where he can do the deep healing that needs to be done. Where do you feel disappointed with God? to ask God to reveal himself to you and to give you hope a confident expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God invite him now to reveal himself and to give you hope invite you to ask God to increase your trust in him. In the Bible, we see a man come to Jesus and say, increase my faith. Would you ask him to increase your trust? And maybe you just need to name God. I want to trust you, but it is really hard. Would you help me? Just be open and honest with him now that he might increase your trust in him. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.